Um, we do our best to start our room on time. So I'll say good morning to everyone. I'm Gloria, one of the moderators. And we'd like to welcome you to New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse, where we seek to build relational bridges through Jesus by engaging relevant subjects. This has been a profound movement of our discussion of Trinitarian theology into its impact on race. Next week will be our last dedicated discussion in this series in its present form. Although the subject of racism will continue to be engaged toward a self-giving, other-focused love of one another in whatever we engage in. Last week's stories of personal and systematic racism shared in transparency and vulnerability brought into the light the evil horrors of this. They were hard to hear and to share. The question still remains, how should my core value of a Trinitarian theology impact racism? I'd like to turn to Matt to open us in prayer. Thank you, Gloria, and good morning to everyone. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your gift of yourself in the example of what living love looks like. And we ask that you would continue to pour out uh, your guidance and your clarity into our lives so that we would see the beloved vision that you've created for, for each one of us as you became flesh, so as to right the wrongs of our own humanness, so as to raise us up into the glorious creation that you created us to be as we continue to press into our thoughts and our hearts and our feelings and emotions, would you, Holy Spirit, continue to awaken each one of us to our own truth, the truth of a loved creature created in love so as to love those that you put in our lives. And so we thank you for this morning. We ask that you would protect and guide us as we continue to step into a conversation that uh, we know so many people don't want to even address because of the difficulties, but also of our own humanness, as well as we recognize the powers of evil that continue to press into this, that we understand that the kingdom of God is a threat to so many, especially to the great adversary. And so we ask for your protection and your guidance. Give us hearts of compassion. Jesus, give us your heart so that we would see each one and listen to each one as you have done with us. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matt. I say amen and amen to that prayer. I'm Cookie. I want to say good morning to everybody. Uh, first, I want to disclose that New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse is being recorded. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are very different, difficult and significant conversations. They are not easy and we do have some guidelines for participation. First, safety and grace is paramount. Our intent is racial reconciliation as discipleship. We ask that you listen and engage in a posture of humility. 
If you would like to speak, raise the little hand at the bottom of your screen to be recognized and brought up to the stage. Before you do though, make sure that your bio contains enough information for us to know that you're not a troll or a bot. Be respectful, courteous, and succinct. Our golden rule is as Jesus' golden rule, love one another. Wait to speak until called on by the moderator and refrain from interrupting. You can let us know how much you have appreciated this conversation and conversations that have gone before by following New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse and participating in other relevant conversations that we will engage. Just click on the little green house at the top of your screen and you can learn more about New Wine, New Wineskins by checking out our About page. As further encouragement, follow our moderators and speakers. And lastly, if there is anyone here from outside the US, please note that Clubhouse is not a secure platform. So be mindful of that in what you share. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Cliff to get us going this morning. Thank you, Cookie, and good morning, everyone. Welcome again to another session of Clubhouse as we are just taking a deep dive and looking at Trinitarian theology and its impact on race. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about uh, Trinitarian theology. Um, and, you know, as it is with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is unity among them. There's togetherness uh, and commitment to the other. There's that interconnectedness. There's that interdependence. And as it is with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is or should also be with us. You know, we are united uh, to the Father in the Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, as one with God and with each other, according to St. John chapter 17, 23. Trinitarian theology is a core value or a lifestyle of ours. And when I think about that circle, a circle, it is perfect. And our relationships are to be perfect like that circle. And in, in considering that, people of color uh, cannot opt out of the conversation because we live the conversation 24-7. And so as a circle is perfect, we're asking everyone to stay in the circle and don't break it. If you are one who can opt in and out, be mindful of that. And we ask that you stay connected in the circle and not break that. Um, we've talked about how history in this country influences us, our thoughts, and the posture of our hearts. Last week, we heard some true and very real uh, heart-wrenching stories that were shared by different ones. They were very powerful. Uh, I'm sure some were hard to share. And also, they were hard to listen to. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but we must continually dive into this and ask the question, how does my lifestyle impact racism? Because it's important that each one of us ask those questions and be those who will 
um, dismantle racism. But today, the question is, what is the posture of your heart when you hear about stories or current events, such as things that may you may happen to hear in the news that may run across uh, some things that may um, you have overheard or engaged in, in conversation, uh, but they these current events, how do they impact you? How is all of this coming across to you? Take in, as we take a deeper look at things that are out there in the media, maybe you have not really thought about uh, them having racial undertones, but we'd like to just have some conversation today and look at some of these uh, current events. Um, you know, <clears throat> and as we consider those, we must also think about uh, truth. Uh, one thing that in, in John uh, chapter one, the first chapter of John, when it says that um, the, when the word was made flesh, uh, Jesus Christ, we know that he is the one who came and he was full of what? Grace and truth. And sometimes when we deal with, if we can deal with truth and not grace, it can be very damaging. Or we can deal with all grace and not truth. It also can be damaging. But when we look at Christ, he was full of grace and truth. And as we dive into this, we really must uh, exhibit grace and truth, because if not, uh, we can run off the rails and we don't want that to happen. But just a, a few things that maybe you have thought about or have not thought about uh, one way or the other. Um, and when I look at the Olympics that just concluded, the Winter Olympics in Beijing, um, several things that really struck me, uh, and that was um, the bobsledder, Elena Myers Taylor, is the most decorated black athlete in Winter Olympic history. Um, in fact, she is now the most decorated woman, period. Um, and and I, I've asked myself the question, why, why was that news? Well, we'd like to look at that. It's subtle, but it's still, it's still news. Um, and then Aaron Jackson, the black uh, speed skater, the 500 meter race in the 500 meter race, won a gold medal. Now she was one who her friend um, gave her her slot. And now Aaron Jackson is a gold medal winner in the Olympics but she's also uh, a black woman. And um, again, that made big news. Why is that? Um, and and there's, there's history behind why that is, why that is happening. Um, and, you know, we can talk about other things that are happening that are uh, historical, historical events. Um, the first time this, the first time that. Uh, well, basically what they're saying is it's the first time because racism has kept it out, uh, these people out of these events for so long. 
and um, that's that's why it's it's news. Um, you know, I I read across um, a piece that was talking about figure skating. Uh, number one, you know, we look at figure skating and we see um, all of the different ethnicities out there skating, but you don't see blacks on the ice as figure skaters. And so uh, when I think about that, um, that is something uh, to be considered. Uh, again, is racism a part of it? it? It could be real subtle, but because we have seen these things as normalized, we don't really stop to think about them as having some racial undertones. And that's what these conversations over these last four weeks really have been about is opening our eyes to what racism looks like. Uh, I even heard a piece about um, blacks, um, the leggings that they would wear, uh, that they don't have the right kind of leggings for blacks. And I thought, well, that's, that's a little odd, but I do know that they're in the clothing industry um, there are certain sizes um, that the designers make that do not fit a black person's body. And, and, and these, are, these are things that um, the average person don't know about unless you dig into it or have those conversations. Um, and so uh, there's a number of things that's been left out. Another thing that's in the news is the um, nominees for the Supreme Court is down to three nominees right now, um, all black women. Uh, but some people asking the question, are they just checking a box or are they really qualified? Um, you know, why would they even have those conversations? Um, they're coming up. They're asking, are they really qualified because they're black women? Uh, of, of course they're qualified, but they're also black and it's the emphasis is on oftentimes on the black and not the fact of that they are qualified. Um, another thing, and I, I, I want to open these up for some conversation here in a moment, um, but um, I'm just putting some things out there to get you to think about it. Uh, what about the police officer or ex-officer, 26 years on the police force, a trainer, field, field officer, field trainer, okay, training officer, Kim Potter, um, shooting Dante Wright. Uh, and the amazing thing is in her sentencing, she got only 16 months. The minimum for this type of a crime was seven years. She got 16 months. And the judge, uh, Re Regina Chu, um, I, was, I, was in, I was awed by her reaction she became emotional over Kim Potter uh, and the fact that Kim Potter um, made a mistake, or I'm, I'm sure I want to talk about that here in a moment, but anyway, use her gun instead of a, her taser. But uh, the Regina, she could not become emotional, did not become emotional when she heard the parents of uh, Dante Wright, um, when they 
testified or when they shared. And the question is, how come she became emotional over Kim Potter? And here is a family that have lost a loved one and there's no feelings. That just really causes me to, to sit back and, and wonder. But the first thought that comes to my mind is, were there racial undertones? Even in Kim Potter using her gun versus her taser, were there, was there some racial undertones subconsciously that caused her to do that? You know, uh, these are questions that we must deal with and grapple. I know they're hard questions, but we must really ask the question. And then um, moving on to uh, Ahmaud Arbery and the hate crimes by Greg and Travis McMichael and their neighbor, uh, William Brody Bryan, I think his last name is. Um, these are people, they just, in the federal court, they were just convicted of all accounts of hate crimes and, and manslaughter. But the, the question that came to my, comes to my mind is many people were holding their breath until they got the verdict. And it was very clear as to what happened, but why was there questions about um, their guilt or innocence? And, and, and so as we move into and continue to talk about uh, Trinitarian theology as uh, believers, as followers of Christ, uh, is, are, are, are these core values of ours? Are these, uh, have these, this become a lifestyle where we open our eyes spiritually, physically, emotionally, and begin to see these problems that exist out there, the racial undertones, and so that we can deal with them in the spirit of Christ? Or we just continue to remain blind to them and just give a pass? And so um, uh, for Jesus' followers, we're to use the love. The love is our weapon of choice. It is powerful. It can bring about a change in our world, but it's incumbent upon each one of us to utilize what Jesus has given us and to walk in uh, uh, be love and truth or truth and grace, okay, as we go forward. And I know uh, Robert had some things that he um, saw on last week in the conversation. I'd like him to come at this time and just share some thoughts because I, I, I think that what he has to share will really be impactful to us. And then we will continue our conversation and open the room up here in a moment so that we can hear from different ones of you about your perspective, how these conversations have impacted you, how if they have opened your eyes, if they have um, really caused you to think, uh, uh, rethink your posture on this on this subject. Um, and, and so at this time, um, Robert, I'm going to uh, yield to you, and then I'll be back here in a moment. Thank you, Cliff. Um, yes, last week, well, I was struck that the 
Trinitarian theology as a core value and a lifestyle really can impact racism and actually change a culture. Or we can let racism become a core value for us. Think about that. We've done the or and the opportunity to change then slips by. I remember as a fire chief, the opportunity for change almost passed me by. With a major national club with discriminatory practices, but thanks be to God, I did step up and change really did occur. So I yield back to um, Cliff and I appreciate the opportunity to share. Thank you, Robert. That was powerful. And, and as we uh, see from uh, what Robert has shared uh, and, and to really know his story, he had a huge impact on this because of the stand that he took. Um, and each one of us in our sphere of influence can take a stand and make a big difference. And I just want to thank Robert for uh, the stand that he took. Um, and I would like to also have Matt come and share some thoughts um, that he would like to share at this time, um, relevant to our subject. Uh, Matt, I yes. yield to you. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, the insight, uh, as well as just uh, is the willingness to bring it up and invite others uh, to invite us into this conversation. It is a difficult conversation, as you were saying, uh, Pastor Cliff, and I do appreciate the uh, insight also uh, that uh, Bob just shared. Uh, for over the weeks that we've been talking on racism um, and the impact that Trinitarian theology comes it's a, it is interesting, as Cliff was talking, how <clears throat> even the situation with uh, Armand Arbery, how uh, so many sat holding their breath, which for anyone who uh, might go, oh, well, they were convicted and uh, on all accounts as well as then on the hate crimes. Uh, if you think about the fact that we had to wait to verify this, that it wasn't, and, and again, the justice system does take time, but um, to just to process this and go, is this a form that where we are not quite sure um, that these three men who should have been, it, there shouldn't have even been needed to be um, discussion. However, we want the discussion. And so there's that tension. And yet still so many of us sat and wondered, man, and maybe deep down inside, we were hoping that there was a conviction, but there is part of us that was going, they could be let off. And that's still embedded within the system that we um, have been, we find ourselves in, in a, uh, the systemic forms of racism that we actually do when it comes to situations like that, wonder, are these uh, um, white people going to be convicted? You know, and there's always a concern then too, where you look at that and, I think when we talk about a racialized society, we have to allow for the facts that when we look at juries, we do um, are concerned about whether or not the juries are able to at least represent the person that's on trial. And so often 
um, as we look. And again, this goes into, I think, the, the racial undertones of our society, that it's difficult that we can't have a mixed jury and be confident that we have people who are able to see justice as opposed to color. And, um, and so I think that that's part of our racialized system. And for, for those that um, have grown up in this system, that to be mindful of it, to be mindful that, and especially too, when we're talking Trinitarian theology, we have to be mindful that that's coming from a specific Christian standpoint. And so that when we're talking about justice outside of faith, then there has to be um, even more of an awareness of the biases and the even hatred that a lot of people are raised in their families, in their households. And Trinitarian theology says that we are relational. So we have to take into account the history in which uh, especially kids are being raised. Is, is it a full history? Is there a historical accounts? And for the Christian, the Trinitarian theology comes into play because it builds upon uh, the life and the, the truth of God himself. Uh, Jesus Christ, who came and inhabited our skin so as to show the human um, not only the beauty of what it means to live, but also then the ways in which we distort it and we turn it inward so that we then judge people uh, by the color of their skin as opposed to the content of their character. And our hope for uh, from that stems from a Trinitarian theology and its impact on race is that it will give us then uh, creative ways of living in this world uh, that we are able to then in, inhabit the truth of justice and to reestablish uh, moral ends of our lives that has a personal character of love and seeking out justice. And without the, we need a spiritual reawakening is really what it is. And it's the, we, what we've noticed is the absence of the church so that when we have conversations that uh, Pastor Cliff brought up on the Olympics um, on uh, the outcomes of these uh, cases within uh, the court system that we as Christians, those who, and this again, this comes from um, understanding where people are at with their faith, that uh, faith does play into these things. And um, the last thing I'd like to say is that faith plays into it. However, that each faith or religious system has a belief. And so the Hindu, the Muslim, the Christian, the Jew, the Buddhist, there still is, each one has a belief about ultimate reality. And it's an ultimate reality that each faith system or philosophical system still recognizes the need of love. Uh, and the need of love that the Christian really presses into uh, is summed up from the uh, a book in the Bible from 1 John. It's called 1 John. And this is what the writer says. He says, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves uh, not knows not God for God is love. Our only hope, and that's the end of the, uh, he says, he ends it with this sentence. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. So today, our, our hope today lies in our ability to recapture this, uh, this from the first century of what Jesus was invoking within his followers, a revolutionary spirit that goes out into a hostile world uh, declaring, declaring 
togetherness. This is the togetherness that we've been talking about, the circle that Pastor Cliff brought up. We declare together our eternal opposition to the forces of poverty, of racism, um, so as to elevate the human so that uh, we can then boldly seek to change, to challenge, like Pastor Cliff was saying, to challenge the status quo that sometimes, and maybe even a lot of times, does not even recognize, does not even recognize the racial undertones of our society. And when we can challenge this and the unjust uh, um, actions of the day so that we would be able to pro proclaim that every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and that the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. This revolution is a revolution of love and it only comes when our hearts are first broken so that we see, as Pastor Cliff was talking earlier, the love that's been poured out by this Godhead into our hearts so that we would then become infected, not by the hatred of this world, but by the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so as to then turn to our neighbor and see not what the world wants us to see, but see the beautiful creation from a God who loves. And with that, I yield the mic back to Cliff. Thank you, Matt. That was, that was powerful. Um, and, and yes, the, as the Trinitarian, as we practice and move into Trinitarian theology and really let that become a life, a lifestyle, um, and also recognizing that we are products of our culture. And there are so many things that culture have taught us and have become normalized that the topics that we are talking about, oftentimes some people don't even see it. And so, um, but the love of Christ in us as we seek to press into that, into Trinitarian theology and live out that it will help us to uh, break away from the norms of our culture and really begin to see the problems in our culture the things that are um, causing uh, the inhumane damage in our culture causing hate and hate crimes causing the divisions causing these things to that we're discussing um, instead of being blinded to them, that we will wake up and begin to see them and then deal with it. And so, uh, but I'd like to hear from several of you. Um, and first of all, uh, we have several people who are on stage and I know that some of you uh, have not been brought on stage yet, but we'd like to hear from you if you have a a comment or something, a remark that you'd like to make. Um, we definitely want to hear from you. Just raise your hand, um, the, the little hand down at the bottom. Um, raise your hand and we will have you come on stage and share your thoughts. Um, again, be mindful that others may want to speak. So um, if you could restrict your comments to two to three minutes. And at this time, I'd like to hear from Jim. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Cliff, for just singling me out there. Great, you know, wonderful conversation, a lot of, lot of thoughts. But um, Pastor Cliff, I just wanted to say, I, you know what, I really appreciate um, 
what you shared in opening, especially talking about um, the Olympics and things, because I think um, it's stories like these that help us to see um, see these injustices. And, and I appreciated the way you presented it because you didn't say, hey, this is it going on here, this is going on here, this is going on here. But I appreciate the way you present to say, hey, consider this. And I, and I agree, I think, um, uh, you know, a lot of those things that we saw, you know, those things that you presented have been just this, you know, and we talk about the core values of racism. <laughs> I, you know what, I think it's deeper than that. I think it really is baked into the DNA of our society. And that's why stories such as yours and, and everybody else's story is important to point these things out because um, it allows us to see, it allows us to see things that we never have. You asked about a story that changed um, uh, our lives. One story in particular, um, my denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, has this journey called the journey to Sankofa. Sankofa is an African term that says look back in order to move forward, which is also kind of an indigenous seven generation um, conversation. But I remember sitting and, and, um, and Sankofa is a journey. It's the African-American journey through the South. And we're partnered up with a person of color, uh, us even though I'm a person of uh, person of color, um, Hawaiian, but we were um, partnered up with an African-American partner to hear their story. And when we were in a debrief, one of the most painful stories I heard was a mom who, um, and, and, and she says, you know, I live in Florida and um, every time I hear sirens um, and um, anytime I hear them in my neighborhood, I, I get fearful, I, I get upset, I cry because I'm worried that my children or the police are gonna say something happened to your children. And she shared the story with just tears and trembling. And it just, it rattled, it rattled my cage to, to hear that, um, you know, my African-American sister, um, his life is like that. And that really kind of opened the doors and the window for me to see other stories. Um, the other thing, the other reason why I say, I believe it's baked into um, the DNA was another thing, you know, that we saw this past week was the, um, the mall fight in New Jersey. And it was a fight that was instigated by, at least by the video, um, by a white person um, pointing in the face of a, a younger um, African-American middle schooler. A fight broke out um, and this uh, white kid was on top of the black kid punching him. And when the two officers showed up, um, the, the white kid was grabbed, placed on the couch, you know, kind of, you know, kind of told to calm down. And instinctively, the young man, the African-American young man was on his belly and his hands being cuffed. And it was it, it happened so quickly and it happened like without even any kind of thinking, but it was just automatic, you know, pulling apart and, you know, sitting down the white kid on the on the sofa and the other kid was being cuffed. That's why I say it's baked into the DNA. But um, I guess the bottom line is I think we need to listen to the stories. We need to hear the stories of people of color and we need to sit in the discomfort. We need to be willing to not make judgment. We need to be willing not to justify but we need to sit there and listen to those stories and be grateful for their stories and thankful that they're willing to share that story because it helps us open up our eyes. Um, have the opportunity to share my Hawaiian story. So I know when people when people start to value the story, the importance, you know, we see within Canada right now, we're seeing these residential schools that are having just thousands and thousands of these unmarked graves of children. And we're gonna see the same thing in the United States. And so I just wanna encourage that we listen to stories, we sit in the discomfort, um, and learn and learn um, these various um, areas of injustice and, 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 and help to point out where those areas of injustice are. So Pastor um, Cliff, thank you very much for, at least for me, being able to learn more into pointing out these areas of injustice um, 
that I can see I can see them more clearly. So um, turning the mic back over to you, Pastor Cliff. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I appreciate uh, you sharing that. And one of the things that really struck me about um, your comment was is that this is baked into our DNA and people react, um, especially we find some officers will react, like you said, in this situation in the mall. Um, it was almost an automatic reaction. And, you know, um, going back to the thought of it being baked into our DNA, um, I think a lot of people haven't really looked into the history of, of our law enforcement, but um, a lot of our law enforcement started out as slave catchers. And when we look at and see what is happening in our law enforcement, we wonder why is it? Well, there's history there and, and it's important to go back and understand the history. And when we understand the history, we can begin to bring it forth and better understand um, the culture that um, we live in today and the actions that we see. Uh, again, um, you know, we can begin to make changes when we begin to break away from the norms of our culture. And it's the love of Christ, it's Trinitarian, this Trinitarian theology. We find that it is, uh, it is increasingly more important to us the more we learn about it and we'll see how powerful um, that is. But I'd like to hear from some of the others. I see uh, Glenda is on stage and then Kayla, and then I'd like to hear from Lizbeth. Good, good morning. Um, I'm sorry I have to cut out of here in a couple minutes to go to work. I am Gloria's friend. And prejudice and hatred have always broken my heart. Um, if you study hardcore evolution, I won't go there. That's one thing. But if you are a creationist, the Bible teaches that we all came from one blood or one man, Adam and Eve. And yes, there are differences in cultures, tribes, languages, but we're all, you know, it's got to be one or the other. Either it's chaos and prejudice and hatred, or we have a purpose because we came from our creator. And I don't know about anyone in, you know, that I'll, I'll have to come back when I can say more, but, and I'm so sorry, but when I look at someone, I look at their character and I remember as a little kid wanting to know about these differences innocently. And then I got the opportunity to go to the creation museum and the people there are actually physicists and they have PhDs. And I heard the most beautiful lecture about how we are all related. And if the world could just know this, it would end prejudice. And I'm really sorry, the bloodbath through history. And like I say, I don't have time to say more now, but thank you and I appreciate this. And sometime if I have a day off, I might wanna come back and say more, but God love you all and I love you all. And, and thank you so much. Thank you, Glenda uh, and Kayla, Kayla and then Elizabeth. Um, yeah, thank you, Cliff. Um, 
I think that, that this has been a great uh, series to be able to reflect on the realities of, of society. Um, and I think that there are a lot of hidden um, aspects that we don't really talk about uh, with injustice and racism. Um, and I think that it definitely does start with what Jim was saying, seeing the, the person in front of us and, and uh, being able to just listen uh, and hear their perspective because that's, you know, that's when we get what, when we get the real like experiences and, and how can you deny something um, that happened to this person that's standing in front of you? So if you can just start there, then, um, you know, that's a way to, to begin to see the institutionalized um, racism and institutionalized um, privilege uh, that we have within our society. Um, I have the privilege of working at uh, the Rosetta Center for Counseling and Wellness, which is a private practice. And um, I work with three uh, therapists. I'm the office manager. And uh, the three ladies are all uh, women of color. They're all black women. And um, it has been such a joy to work with them and continually learn um, from them, specifically within the area of mental health um, and the the institutionalized privilege that they recognize and see and, and are working against every single day in their careers. Um, just within, you know, the, the education system and the insurance and billing um, and, and even within, because uh, one of them is a master's of public health and works with mothers, um, fetal medicine. And there's a whole, you know, healthcare industry um, and racism that goes on within that area as well. And uh, now being pregnant myself, um, I'm learning a lot about pregnancy and doctors and just treatment um, that is required. And unfortunately, that is also an area of society where there is racism built into the fabric. Um, and it, it, terrifies me it saddens me to hear the stories of these women already in such a vulnerable position um already where you have to be able to advocate for yourself um as a as a pregnant woman um or at least have somebody to advocate for you and that is you know has been a sexist uh issue as well uh but it's definitely a, a racist issue as well. There are a lot of statistics with um, black females, black mothers, and and um, higher rates of mortality uh, for both mother and baby and just cases of mistreatment. Um, and so that has been a really uh, interesting thing to get to learn about within my uh work and position at Rosetta Center, as well as, you know, the mental health field. Um, but it starts with being able to be present for that conversation, to be able to learn um, those things, and then also continue to do your own research and um, read books and read articles and keep up on the news and be present within society, but also be present with the people in front of you. And, you know, see them as the creation 
of God and see them as worthy of love and dignity and um, regardless of color of skin, regardless of gender, sexuality, um, race, uh, status in society, job, whatever may be, they are a person irregardless and every single person is worthy of love. Um, we are made in the image of God and God is love. So um, thank you for this conversation. And uh, I, with that, I yield the mic. Um, I know Clifford asked me to speak next. And, you know, I, I've listened over all of the weeks and I find this to be just a very uh, fascinating but troubling conversation um, and you know the uh, in in the opening prayer um, one of the things that Matt said was Jesus give us your heart so we can see and listen to everyone in love uh, that may not be the exact words but I guess that that's what I I recognize I I grew up in the 60s and 70s in Detroit and it's amazing to me how things in some ways have changed and in other ways have not. And and that saddens me because I think we are focusing so much on um, the, the color of skin versus the heart of the person. And, and that just is, is it, it, when I read the Bible, that's just not the way that we are supposed to live and act. And yet I know, you know, the horrific things that people have shared. And I know I've got many instances in my life and, you know, it's not always about the color of my skin. It's something, as Kayla said, it can be a sexist thing. It can be, you know, I look at um, the, the song, We Are Family. We, we Are All Our Family by Sister Sledge is just one of those songs that when you listen to it or you watch the movie, Birdcage, which it has, it's about, you know, this attitude of unlove and how it gets changed it just is amazing to me because that's, if we could put blinders on and see the heart as God calls us to do, then it would be amazing how the world would calm down and not be chaotic. It saddened me when the Supreme Court opening came up and the first thing said is, oh, I'm putting a black woman there. There are many qualified candidates and somebody shouldn't be identified and put in there because of the color of their skin or their gender. They should be there because they're the best candidate and that's what we will get. And they then, you know, it, it just bothers me that we focus so much on that. And that's why I appreciate the conversation there are two sides, there are three sides, there are four sides, but in God's world, we are all one family. We all are created in his image. We need to live by love. We need to put on blinders and see the heart of people. And when we see injustice, as Jim brought up the horrific um, travesty in New Jersey, we need to stand up and speak out. I was grateful to hear the, um, the additional, you know, sentencing or, or charges, you know, affirmed 
and um, I, I forget the young man's name in, in Aubrey's trial because there's no excuse for what those men did. Absolutely no excuse. And as, as his father, I think, was one who was interviewed and said, I, I hope now justice will be served. I too hope justice is served. So, you know, we all should be able to stand together. Um, those are some of my thoughts. I, I appreciate the Lord our God and Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit within me. And hopefully I am not participating in the racial aspects that are demeaning and condemning, but I'm helping people to grow in love and to see Christ through me, all people. Um, I yield the mic. Thank you, Elizabeth and, and Kayla, and also Glenda, who had to step away. Um, we appreciate each one of your comments um, because they're very valuable, very, um, you know, um, appropriate for this conversation. Um, but I just also want to um, just kind of dovetail on something that Elizabeth said. We one of the reasons that we're talking about this Trinitarian theology, you know, I'd long to see the day when we don't have to um, address anybody by the color of their skin. Um, we are all of one family. Um, if you believe in creation, you believe in Adam and Eve, and that we all came from Adam and Eve. But as we look at where we are today in our society and our culture, um, there is a lot of emphasis on um, race. And, you know, we can try to get to the, I, I say at the end point or the end goal, um, but we cannot ignore where we are today because this stuff is very real and what we're talking about here in Trinitarian theology is to wake us up that all things are not equal. And at some point we pray that they will become, but the reality is that they're not all equal. And um, as we uh, go forth in Trinitarian theology and the love of Christ, I think that we'll be able to depart from the norms of culture and be able to make about, bring about those changes and I think we all long to see that day. I, I know I, I long to see that. Um, and um, that's something I pray for and I try to live into each and every day of my life. Um, but uh, we have time. If there's anyone else who would like to have something to say, we'd like to hear from you. Um, just raise your hand, put, touch your hand on the a little hand down at the bottom, and we will bring you on stage. Um, I don't see anyone, but Cliff, at this I, time, I believe that Cookie is dying to speak. So. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sorry, Cookie. I yield to you. Dying to speak. Oh my gosh! Yes, I was flicking my mic. <laughs> Oh man, I am just, I'm so thankful for these conversations. And um, Cliff, one of the things you said at the outset was that, um, that, that these things that we don't see or that, that, that racism 
in its darkness and subtle manners in so many ways have become so normalized that we don't see the undertones. And I, you know, I have to confess that there are many, many undertones that I don't necessarily see and how important it is for me to be in relationship with the other that is going to see it so very clearly. I know as a woman, I can see oppression um, of a woman a mile away, but I may not be able to see the subtleties that happen in so many of these racial undertones. And, you know, as you were bringing up Olympics, that was such a, a, a clear example of something that um, may become so normalized that I don't see it. And as Jim was, Jim referred to the fact that the core value of racism has become baked into our DNA. And part of the, or, you know, the Trinitarian theology speaks of um, this self-giving other focused love. And apart from our love and relationship with one another, I will never see the fullness of what I what I need to see in this life to stand so that we may be one. So the world will see that we are disciples of Jesus Christ because of our love for one another. And so I stand here and I readily confess that apart from my relationship with, with Gloria, with Cliff, with Jim, with so many others, I cannot possibly stand and be the person that God has created me to be, nor can I enable my brothers and sisters to stand and be the people that God has created them to be. We have been created to be together as one. And so I just, I, you know, I so appreciate the comments of Kayla. They're so well said um, and every person that has spoken. So you know, I just want to stand here again and say thank you, Cliff, for these conversations. Um, thank you to New Wine, New Wineskins, who continues to bring these conversations to bear now and as we continue in whatever it is that we engage. And so with that, I want to yield the, the mic back to Cliff or Gloria. I, I would like to speak. Is that okay, Cliff? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Cookie, for sharing. And again, Cliff, bringing this to the table, I think, um, has been a blessing to all of us. And I appreciate the fact that this room allows us to be authentic and transparent and to feel safe in what you share. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I was thinking about a couple of things. One is, um, as I was thinking about today's conversation um, coming forth, I was thinking that love is the transforming act, as you have said over and over again, Cliff. It's through love, it's through the relationships, it's through um, taking off our masks and looking at each other and seeing the true other. Um, there is Psalm 36, seven to nine that says, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. And it's so true. Um, through relationships, through the light of God, 
that's what we're speaking into is our love that will transform each and every one of us through one relationship, one conversation at a time. I wanted to share something. Um, several of us in this room have been involved in looking at um, what will be a new website um, for new wine, new wine skins. And um, as a part of that conversation and discussion, there was a palette that was shown to us in terms of colors. And um, the color descriptions, uh, the palette said color psychology. And um, it talked about the various colors and what those colors represented. And I had to have a conversation with the creator of that palette because I was very concerned about the subtle, systematic issues and opportunities for racism that was embedded in that color palette. And um, that I will share a couple of them. For black, it said power. Um, we can think of that as good. We can also look at that and think, okay, as some have said, you know, black power. Does that mean black power? Um, what does that mean? But that was one of the descriptors for the color black. For the color white, it said pure, honest, and clean. And what does that mean? What is the subtleties and the systematic undertones that that has for people when they look at colors? Um, I was most struck by color yellow where it was warning and cautious. And as I spoke to the person that um, created that palette and had a conversation, one of the things that I said as I was talking about that and warning, and he used the word cautious, and he um, used the, the analogy of the police and how um, they use yellow tape to tape off any area where there's been some kind of issue as a warning to others. And what I said to him is just like when we're dealing with the descriptors that are subtly used that point to blacks, um, the color yellow has been um, a derogatory term towards other people of color. And so saying things like cautious, and warning have distinct racial undertones. And we may not see that. And one of the things about this conversation that I believe is so critical, um, the four weeks that we've gone through and the last week that we'll have next week, is that we have our eyes open, that the blinders are taken off that we can see the subtleties and we can address them at the time we see them, that we don't allow that to just sit out there and permeate and, um, or ignore it. We, once you're aware, for me, there is this real opportunity that says, you can't go back, your eyes are open, so you purposely ignore um, or you purposely deny. And so with that, I will yield the mic back to you, Cliff. Thank you, Gloria. That was powerful. And yes, that's what this, these conversations are all about, to open our eyes. And, um, you know, once our eyes have been opened, we have a choice. We have decisions to make. Are we going to remain where we have been and ignore 
what is before us or are we going to move into that place to become agents of change uh, through the love of Christ and so uh, we are um, right up against our time I want to uh, give a moment for Robert to synthesize and then to Kayla who will close us out and and and, and before Robert I'm sorry um, before you come just we invite you all to come back next week because we are going to kind of do a recap um, review of what we have heard over the last um, four weeks and um, just so that we will have basically um, some um, um, action items to carry forth. And so with that, I yield to you, Robert. Thank you, Cliff. Quickly, um, I've seen and heard a, uh, a thread through our conversation today, and it really has to do with action. So here's what I heard. Open your eyes and dig in. I heard uh, true justice, look for true justice action. Trinitarian theology, we are relational action. Inhabit true justice action. Our only hope is love action. Declare, this one's powerful, declare our eternal opposition. Whoa, action. Listen as a start. Action. Ask. I see it a mile away, yet miss what's right in front of me. Action. And lastly, open our eyes. Action. And I yield back to you, Cliff. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. And with that, we're going to have Kayla come and pray us out. Kayla. Yeah, thank you. Um, Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you today, um, grateful for this opportunity to continually um, engage in dialogue and um, community and relate to one another um, as your creation. God, we ask that you would continue to open our hearts and our eyes and um, prepare us to be agents of change and agents of love, um, God, that we would go out into this earth and shake the world in the name of Jesus. Um, light our hearts on fire for you and um, just show us your, your redeeming love, God. Help us to see your face in the faces of those before us um, so that we can better love uh, you so as to better love ourselves and then better love uh, the other. And uh, with that, um, we thank you again for this conversation, for the people that have joined this room. God, I thank you for their hearts and um, their willingness to be present, um, willingness to see the other. And in your, in your son's name, we pray. Amen. 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 See you all Amen. next week.
Amen. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Blessings to everybody. Thanks again, everybody. Bye now. See you next week.